This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we cover VMware Tanzu and how it helps simplify containers, VMs, and Kubernetes implementation. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio. With me today, I have several special guests from uh, VMware uh, to talk about Tanzu, and as well as Chance. You know, Chance is here too, but we'll talk to him in a little bit. Uh, so let's talk to our special guest first, our very special guest, much more special than Chance. Uh, Miles Gray's here. Uh, Miles, what do you do at VMware? Hey, Justin. So uh, I work in technical marketing uh, for the vSphere with Tanzu team. And basically my deal is I talk about anything platform and above. So like Kubernetes, what you can do with it, CI pipelines, Knative functions as a service, all that kind of like hipster developer, you know, millennial stuff. That's that's my deal. Do you wear skinny jeans? Is that part of the package? I mean, do you not wear skinny jeans? Well, I mean, during the pandemic, I wear mostly shorts and sweatpants. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I, I try to, I, I just basically like my, my Zoom background is me in skinny jeans. So no, I just, I, I got my, uh, you know, my chai latte off to one side here. My Egyptian scarf is just out of, out of shot here. So yeah, no, it's, it's all under control. All right. Excellent. Also with us today, you may recognize this guy. Uh, Glenn Sizemore is here. Glenn, what are you doing these days? Hey, Justin. I've uh, I've switched teams. These days, I'm uh, I'm a product manager over in VMware Cloud. I'm responsible for some of the core backend services and some of our ancillary tools. But I couldn't skip it on a chance to come come back on the show and, and catch up with you guys, particularly not for this topic because I am I'm super hyped for Tanzu and what we built. You know, there's an old saying that we we often become what we hate. <laughs> would you say that's <laughs> Would you say that's true? Yeah, no, I figured after 15 years of yelling at product managers and telling them they didn't know what they were doing, it's finally time for me to put up or shut up. So here I am. Have you experienced the situation where now you are facing the Glenn Sizemores of the world on the other end? Uh, of course. Yeah. Nice. But, but having been that guy, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of fun for me when they start yelling at me. It's good. It's good. You get really, or do you just kind of smile proudly and nod like, yeah. Uh, it, it's you mostly me decent. going... <laughs> Ahead, it's Miles. that product manager look, you know, just smug grin, side to side motion of the head brings great satisfaction. But I think it's because they've all gone through Glenn's transformation of being angry at them and then just being at one with the anger. Yeah, it's it's mostly just sitting there with a smile on your face going, I completely agree with everything you're saying, but you have no idea all the complications and roadblocks between what you want and what we have now. It's good. It's good. I'm glad you're you're finally getting what you deserved. Um, <laughs> so uh, also with us today, uh, like I said, Chance is here. Great. Uh, Chance, you're a NetApp guy. What do you do? I'm just along for the ride. That's but uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so I'm a technical marketing engineer uh, for our uh, our VMware on on tap products mostly, but uh, actually cover all virtualization. But but that's mostly my focus. 
So I'm treating Chance like a second class citizen, but he's first class in my heart. So, um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll we'll talk more about what he does here. But we, you know, we brought the VMware guys in and just kind of cover the Tanzu side. Tanzu is the right pronunciation, apparently. Mm-hmm. The Tanzu side of things. So to do that, um, Miles, what is a Tanzu? What is a Tanzu? Um, so there is no such thing as a Tanzu. There is a, a multitude of Tanzus. Um, basically Tanzu is a portfolio. It's not one product, right? It's a bunch of different things. You can think of it kind of like, you know, VRLIs. It's a a brand. Uh, And basically Tanzu or what exists within the Tanzu portfolio is all the services and products that you would need to build a modern cloud native application. You know, the stuff that we've been talking about for a couple of years, it does its own replication. It does its own data services. It's, you know, scaling out on demand, scaling to zero when there's no load, microservices based, all the fancy terms and stuff like that. So Tanzu, the portfolio of of all these different bits and pieces and products that make this thing up can take you basically right from code on a developer laptop to an auto-scaling application deployment built on top of Kubernetes that's running on vSphere or wherever. So you, know, you you said the K word, uh, Kubernetes, and and that's something that comes up a lot more these days because it's mm-hmm. becoming more and more of an integral part to enterprise infrastructures. So you know, I guess if somebody isn't aware of what Kubernetes is, can you give us an overview of what that is? Certainly. So um, I guess to understand Kubernetes, it's important to understand what a container is, and a container you can think of as kind of like a very lightweight VM, like extremely lightweight. And a container is basically just all, it's like a bag of stuff, right? That makes up everything that it needs to make an application run. So say you have an application and it needs X library. And, you know, so say um, it's a Java app, right? And we've all done this with like, you know, arrays in the past, you know, not pointing any fingers, but you have to download a certain uh, Java applet file, you run that, that's how you manage your array and you got to go and install that particular version of Java to run that thing and all that kind of stuff, right? So all those dependencies are what it takes to run that app. Um, containers basically take all those dependencies and all the the, the outside uh, bits and pieces that you need to make the application run and just put it together in a little package. So you can say unequivocally, you know, if you take this container that I built and you run it on your laptop, it's going to work. So that's what a container is, right? It's a it's a thing that contains all of the stuff that an app needs to run. Now, you might think, well, I could just deploy that like a VM, right? I could just run it uh, as a single instance and, and off it goes. And the answer is, yeah, certainly you could run it as a single thing, just kind of like a VM if you really wanted to. But the problem is, you know, there's no high availability there. There's no Um, You know, you're going to rely on the underlying infrastructure, again, like vSphere HA or whatever to do your failovers and that kind of stuff. And once people got into the the containers mindset, they saw it as an opportunity to get the application to do more. Like in the past, you could say that applications have been quite, you know, quote unquote, lazy whenever it comes to, you know, they just hand everything that's hard off the infrastructure, you know, data replication, encryption, all that stuff. And these days, they're taking more and more of those data services and putting them into the app itself. And that's kind of where these challenges come from is if you're building an application like this, they generally get to the stage where it's not just you know one or two containers. There are hundreds or even thousands of these things that go into making a, a fairly complex application. How do you make sure all that stuff is deployed? And how do you make sure that it's deployed in the right order? That if something happens, say you lose a host, how does 
to get restarted somewhere else? Um, you know, how does it scale? So for example, say you're, you're doing a web app, you want to see that, you know, once CPU usage on your, your front end containers goes over 50% or 80% or whatever it is, that it wants to start scaling out so that it can deal with the load. So all that kind of stuff, those are very sort of hard problems to solve. And that's what Kubernetes does. It's like this management system. You can kind of think of it as like vCenter for VMs. You know, it's it's kind of like the vCenter of containers. It orchestrates and sets up all of these containers, makes sure everything is running, responds to HA events, all that kind of stuff. So it's like this layer that sits on top of containers that makes these new cloud-native modern applications actually reliable and actually do the magic that we've been promised that it that they would do for the last couple of years. So all I got out of that, Glenn, was that uh, VMs and containers are the same thing. Is that is that accurate? Uh, yes and no, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the reality is you can use them both for the same thing, but the the a container enables you to really explode it out and recompose it in a way that it, that a, a VM just doesn't, right? Because it's you're smashing runtime and installation together with a container. So as you move those, you get both at the same time. Whereas a VM, it's really like you, it's it's hard to take an application off a VM and move it, you know, to another VM independent, like as Miles said, because of all those dependencies. Now, what I will say is, a VM is a fantastic place to run a container. Why would you say mm-hmm. that? <laughs> because it is. Oh, okay. it's just no like it. I mean, no, like I I personally think that VMs and containers have always made the most amount of sense. The technology is additive and using the two together just leads to a better solution. I mainly just yeah, want to get you I, going like 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 the old days, you and Andrew would argue constantly about I this. mean, if you want to argue, then then let's get into a real topic. Is a snapshot a backup? Yes or no? Oh my goodness. What, what about SIFs, GIFs, uh, JPEGs? No, we don't want to talk about that. So, so Miles, you were going to say something? Um, yeah, like around the, the VMs and containers thing. And I, I kind of, I agree with what Glenn is saying that a container or a VM is the best place to run a container, but we're not just saying, you know, wrap every container in a VM, right? That's, that's dumb. That gets you back to the point where you're managing VMs again. And that's, that's not the idea. Uh, what we're basically saying is that if you're going to run Kubernetes or some kind of container service on top of it, you probably want to run that on VMs and it's just, for the exact same reasons that you don't want to run applications on bare metal that much anymore, right? It's because you get better consolidation, you get better resource utilization. If you virtualize, you get the advantages of HA and DRS and all that kind of stuff. And that still applies with, with containers and Kubernetes. You know, there are people out there, masochists, we'll call them, that like to run Kubernetes on bare metal and all the firmware and patching problems that go with that. And I mean, we've all been there. Um, but whenever you like start looking at services, like most Kubernetes services these days are built on top of VMs. Even the ones in, in clouds are built on top of VMs. And that's that's for a reason, right? Because it makes sense. So yeah, I, I agree with Glenn. You know, VMs and containers are additive. They're not, you know, equivalent to each other, but they do add value to each other. Yeah, and, and containers are really just a a way to use only what you need right i mean right a lot there's a lot of bloat in os that you don't necessarily need to use so the mm-hmm. container kind of strips exactly. that down and makes it a lot it's kind of like when you're sketching out something and you just you know sketch something on a piece of paper and you're i don't like that you ball it up and you're done that's what a mm-hmm. container is you can you can ball it up and get rid of it whenever you're done because it's, it's ephemeral you don't have to worry about keeping it state 
Whereas a VM, you're going to keep that around and hopefully, you know, not have to leverage snapshots there. Right. And you know what? Another, you know, nice way of looking at this is, is a container because it only contains the stuff that your application really needs. If you're installing an application on an OS, you need to take care of security for every single package in that OS. And, you know, I mean, all of us in both our companies and the, the wider tech community have seen how many CVEs there have been over the last couple of years on stuff you just didn't even think about that was part of your, or your OS, right? And if you're running containers and you've only got the libraries that you need to run your app, the likelihood that you're going to be impacted by those security, um, you know, the CVE publishes is going to be much, much less because you're not just including a bunch of crap that you don't need anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you mentioned earlier about, you know, backups and recoveries and, you know, failing over. Where does SRM fit into the Tanzu story here? Is, is that something that applies or is it something that needs to be external to this? Kind of. And I guess it, it comes from, you know, what position are you taking with your Kubernetes infrastructure or your modern application? So, you know, a lot of people say they're doing this digital transformation thing these days. And really, like if you're building a modern application, most of those, you know, by definition, a 12-factor app, a cloud-native app does its own data replication, right? So that means you're going to be using a backend like Cassandra, say, and you let Cassandra do all the replication, do all the data services, and it takes care of that, right? You know, if you're deploying your application in a, in a quote-unquote cloud-native fashion, you're going to have it running actively across a couple of sites at the same time and just let the application take care of all that stuff. So sure, you could use SRM and fail over your Kubernetes cluster and, you know, bring it up on the other side if you really wanted to. But it's not really the model that people are going to use whenever they're building these types of applications. If they're involved in Kubernetes and they're building modern apps on Kubernetes, they've already taken it that they're responsible for all of those failures and all of that complexity belongs to the application these days. So while you could, it's a question of, is that the reality of what people are actually doing? And in my experience, it's no, you know, they are building apps that spread data, you know, spread across data centers and are just natively redundant. So why would you need a solution like that? So as far as Tanzu goes, what is one of the main use cases like, or what are some of the main use cases for it? Like what are people using it for today? And what are some of the things that you foresee it being used for? So, I mean, because of how wide the Tanzu portfolio is, like if you go and look up what's included in Tanzu Advanced, for example, like there is a colossal amount of stuff in there. You've got like Kubernetes service, you've got the Tanzu application catalog, you've got the build service, and it goes right the way from the developer to the platform operator. Like the, the suite is huge and it can do a whole bunch of stuff for a whole bunch of people. And that really just depends on, you know, what the customer wants. Generally, I would say most people that are adopting it today, you know, at least our client base, are mostly after the, the Kubernetes as a service thing, right? They want Kubernetes, Kubernetes clusters that they can just spin up on demand. So that'd be the first thing. But the, the other part of it, the other evolution, is also that people are looking at, okay, now I've got my Kubernetes service, right? I can actually use Kubernetes or deploy it. What do I put on top of it? And the next question becomes, well, okay, how do I write my apps to actually run on top of it? So that's where it starts getting into more conversations with higher and higher level teams who are actually implementing code and business logic. 
and you want to talk about, I don't know, like Spring Boot as a framework, and then you want to talk about building that into a container with Tangent Build Service, and then maybe you're talking about, right, well, I've got these containers built. How do I do that automatically? How do I roll them out automatically, you know, through a CI, CD pipeline or what, what have you? So really, it's a whole bunch of things. But today, for a lot of people and a lot of, you know, like vSphere-centric customers, it is, I need Kubernetes as a service. Give me Kubernetes as a service. And that's basically where most people are getting their feet wet today. They, they set up a cluster, they start messing with it, and they just see what works. I would I would add on to that that I, I think another way of of thinking about this is really are you creating software or are you consuming it? Mm-hmm. Um, because that really defines what part of the portfolio you're going to be interested in. If right. you're just consuming it, right, because you end up with one of these applications that that is only available as a Kubernetes container, right? It comes as a manifest. And if you're if you cannot stand up a workload cluster, you can't install the software, right? There's no option. In that scenario, then Tanzu gives you that turnkey solution to spin up a Kubernetes uh, environment on top of your existing vSphere environment, and then just add that Kubernetes application and workload right alongside your existing infrastructure without the need to go learn anything new or really get advanced. Um, but then on the other side, as Miles said, like if, if you're one of these leading teams that is really leaning into modern app development practices, there's a lot of stuff in that in that portfolio that just makes your job easier. Right, like pr- private repositories and, and all sorts of little tools that that uh, fill in some of the gaps and and holes that today, like developers, end up writing a lot of software just to kind of make their life easier. Whereas the Tanzu suite just kind of handles that for you, so you can just focus on what it is you're there to write. So, with this whole deployment, what does it take to get Tanzu up and running? Is it you know is it like a service that you can purchase? Is it a software you have to install? Is it an infrastructure you have to build? Right. Um, so it, it's kind of a bit of all of those things. So first of all, I mean, if you just want to try it out, right? If you just want to get going, there's not a lot to it. Um, you install vSphere, you get your vSphere up and running, and then you um, go into your UI and there's you know a 60-day trial for all this. So if you want to set it up in your lab, feel free, you can go do that. So you go into the workload management section of vCenter, you click workload uh, management, you go through, fill in all the, the fields that it asks for around networking, around content libraries, storage policy-based management policies, all that stuff. And then you hit deploy and it deploys the solution for you. And that's that's kind of it. You know, you're up and running at that point and you're free to start uh, deploying namespaces and Kubernetes clusters from there. So uh, from like a trying it out point of view, you don't need any specialized hardware. You know, it'll just run on your standard vSphere infrastructure. And, and that's kind of the point is that we want this to be something that you can run us run alongside your normal VM workloads. Like we don't want you to have to have a discrete infrastructure just to run Kubernetes or just to run containers. You should be able to run everything, you know, the way you've always run things, you know, through vCenter, managing it with the tools that you're comfortable with. You can also use ONTAP Select with a free trial. So you basically can try Tanzu with ONTAP at no cost. Yeah, and I, I just kind of like to dovetail off of that. I, I think that's one of the big areas where you look at um, the, the the VMware-based environments where NetApp is providing storage services. And that uh, that kind of, that intrinsic um connection between vSphere and storage with Tanzu is really going to allow these existing environments that have 
strong, um, longstanding skill bases among their IT staff that they're comfortable, they're confident with vSphere, they're comfortable with ONTAP, they understand the performance characteristics and everything they can get out of it and how to manage it. And you take all these existing skills and you're able to leverage that in place and adopt this Kubernetes as a service model without having to deploy new systems or learn new, you know, um, any kind of new methodologies. It's it's something you're comfortable with, and those that human capital is able to be leveraged to take advantage of these systems. Mm-hmm. There's just something I'd like to add to what what Chance was saying right there, which is a lot of people make this false assumption that containers because of the cloud space and because of say like AWS Lambda and these kinds of services, you know, the function stuff is that, you know, all of these workloads are stateless, you know, they don't require storage. And honestly, that couldn't be farther from the truth. You see the exact same mixture of stateless versus stateful services as you did in the VM arena. It's the same thing. And at the end of the day, if your application is doing useful work, it's storing data somewhere and reading data from somewhere. And this is something that we see in Kubernetes and, and you know, all of these types of things is they store data, they store artifacts, there's you know, images that you need to store for these containers and stuff like that. So it's not like this whole new world is you know, everything is stateless and there's just unicorns and rainbows everywhere. Storage still matters and you ne- still need to care about performance. You still need to care about latency. You still need to care about all the stuff you've always cared about. So you mentioned that you know this idea of statelessness has to do with the fact that there's data out there that needs to be kept in state. Um, mm-hmm. When I think of stateless, I, th- I think of the actual processes and the and the operations that have to be used to interact with that data. And if those things right. go away, you can always spin them back up, and there's nothing you know nothing happens, right? So mm-hmm. I guess the the idea here is that we are separating the compute out from the storage. It's, it's almost like a software based HCI kind of thing. Kind of thing, yeah. Um, so you're you're absolutely right. By the way, you know, whenever you're talking about the stateless nature of stuff, absolutely, it's the functions, it's the operations that act on the data. But at the end of the day, that's going to be reading for something from something, and it's going to be a little bit different than what you've usually had. You know, Microsoft SQL Server, Oracle Rack, whatever. You know, traditional databases. These days, they're not usually traditional databases. It's message queues. It's stuff like Kafka. It's you know. Uh, eventing pipelines and these kinds of things. But at the end of the day, they're still storing data on disk somewhere, right? You know, that there's still data being written somewhere. So while it's not maybe SQL anymore, it doesn't matter. The data still exists, right? And it has to be stored. So you're, you're right. You know, there is still stuff that is stateless and it's acting on the data. And maybe that's, you know, what the functions are doing. They're doing some processing. An event comes in, they process it, it goes off, and then it gets stored to disk. That's still stateless. But at the end of the day, those events and those, you know, the the objects and the data that it acts on still has to be stored somewhere. It just doesn't, you know, exist in memory for, you know, all time. Kubernetes and cloud native applications are an operation and development efficiency tool. They do not fundamentally change any of the technology that we've been working with for, for 25 years. We're mm-hmm. building the same exact apps. We're solving the same exact problems. We're just doing it in a way that's both easier to develop for the development team and easier to manage as an operations team. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, you know, again, it's cutting down the bloat, like get rid of the stuff we don't need to use because all that's doing is getting in the way of our jobs and just give me the stuff that I need to do what I need to do. So that's really the advantage of Tanzu, right? Because the, the whole point of this is operational efficiency and getting more done with the team that you have. 
And Tanzu enables you to, to bring that technology into your existing deployment so that you don't have to do some big heavy migration in order to use this stuff. You don't have to send half your team out and go down some bimodal uh, operations path. You know, you can just add it on to your existing framework and then ramp it up as is best for you and your business. It's just, it makes it very easy to get on this train and start to see these advantages as a customer. Right. And I think another part of it as well is because because of the Kubernetes model and the way that you uh, use the the various functions and such within it, or, you know, the way the Kubernetes users would, would utilize it, they don't need to bug you all the time as the VI admin, right? Oh, hey, I need more storage in VMX, or I need this disk extended, or I need blah, 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 right? They don't have to do any of that anymore. You're still maintaining control, you know, like with vSphere with Tanzu, whenever you, you deploy it, you get these namespaces, you set up policies for storage, for compute, you know, like you always have. So you still maintain control, but you just give the developers a sandbox and you're like, go do whatever it is that you need to do. Don't log tickets. You don't need to log tickets, right? Just do your thing. It's all self-service. Let them do their own thing. And it, like Glenn was saying, you know, it, it lets you do more with the team that you have. You don't need to hire more people to deal with this new system because it's already in the, the um, you know, vCenter that they know and love and are very well used to at this stage and, and trained up on. It's supported by us. And because it's all developer self-service, you don't need people that are just going to watch ticket queues all the time and resolve menial tasks. You can get on with meaningful work. Another aspect of this that's really beneficial is you kind of get out of the, the game of trying to make sure everything is updated, you know, security and software wise, because all you're doing with a container is pulling down the latest image that someone else is maintaining. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, what if I'm using a CentOS eight box, right? If I just specify latest, it's going to pull the latest image and I don't have to worry about keeping that patch constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with containers. You know, if you're maintaining them yourself, Sure, you're going to have to patch them. Sure, you're going to have to make sure they're up to date. But like like we said a while back there, the less dependencies that are inside that container, the better because the, the less stuff there is to keep up to date. So it's vastly more simple than, you know, installing a VM, installing packages, and then you go, you know, a week later, you log into your Ubuntu VM and it's like, hey, 58 updates to do, no problem. Or, you know, it's not like that because you don't have all that extra stuff that you don't need. So, um to me, it's more secure by default simply because there's less dependencies, there's less things to keep updated. And if you're you know, pulling it down from an external vendor, like what Glenn was saying, if you're just consuming apps that are designed to run on Kubernetes, that's their job at the end of the day. And it's an easier job for them to maintain. If you're building them yourselves, this is why we've got the Tansy suite. We've got solutions for all this stuff to make sure that stuff is always up to date. It'll scan for CVEs. It'll automatically patch things and let you roll them out into production. So, you know, that, that challenge still exists, but it is vastly reduced because of the, the scope of the stuff that's included is also vastly reduced. And a lot of this sounds like our, our cloud models that we have today, where you have managed services and people taking care of things for you. So, so Glenn, where does Tanzu fit into that cloud infrastructure piece? That's a great question. Um, so, and and the the grander scheme of things, the Tanzu suite will work with absolutely everything and can manage almost anything. So, if you have an existing Kubernetes deployment somewhere in some cloud environment anywhere, then the Tanzu suite native can can help you, 
get more out of that existing infrastructure. Now, as far as VMware cloud goes, right, the the, the first class services that VMware runs as, as a first party member, Tanzu is currently in uh, early beta with our VMC on AWS deployments. And we've got some some other stuff that's coming. It's absolutely something that's coming down the pipeline in the near future. Um, but but it, that is still kind of in development. The the Tanzu stuff, the Tanzu portfolio really is, it's really being aimed today at those on-premises customers that haven't been able to make this transition yet, right? They've, they're sitting on a massive amount of, of infrastructure. You know, there's something like 80 million virtual machines running on vSphere today. So all, all of those environments, it, those teams that are looking to make this transition, right, getting the ability to just do that right now. And then, yeah, down the future, if, if you want to just rent an environment from us for your containers and slap a couple of VMs in there, too, because it's all vSphere, sure, we'll do that. So, Chance, with, with Tanzu, what is the NetApp stance on it? What do, you know, what do we support? When did we start supporting it? And where would we use it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we've been supporting it for a while now. Um, and I think you know, going back to what Glenn talked about with the, you know, the ideal user that would would move into this this new universe of Tanzu. Um, those are those those kind of environments where they're looking for a trusted partner, right, to help them move into this new world of you know cloud native applications. And they, you know there is no more trusted partner that they're already working with on prem than VMware and in NetApp as the storage solution for those you know, those environments is is certainly well known well trusted and has a long you know over 20 year track record of pri- providing these enterprise data services um so with vSphere with Tanzu on prem you've get got this native um integration between the the vSphere environment and the kubernetes environment and and miles talked earlier about how the you know Kubernetes teams they don't need to go and you know file tickets to create storage or anything like that anymore because you're going to be using storage policy based management and that is something that that has been near and dear to my heart for a long time. NetApp was actually one of the first VVols vendors and we've supported storage policy based management basically since day one for what, close to around a decade or something now, 2012, somewhere? I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, so what that allows you to do is just expose these um, VM storage policies as native Kubernetes storage classes so that your developers can just go and consume a cla- you know, a storage class just like they would otherwise in any Kubernetes environment. But what's going to happen is it's going to be translated into the storage infrastructure that is being used by your vSphere environment. And NetApp is able to, you know, take advantage of that and expose all the great capabilities of ONTAP, like, um, you know, whether you want to use deduplication or compression or encryption, you know, let's say you have like a secure tier of service you want to offer so you can enable encryption by policy. So people will be able to go out and consume encrypted storage for their persistent volumes in Kubernetes. Um, And we can do this with pod scale granularity. So you can actually do things like set QoS policies by policy on a per pod basis by using, you know, applying these policies to the persistent volume claims. 
Um, so it really makes it easy to transition from the legacy world of running everything in VMs on vSphere on, you know, on the NetApp storage that you've always trusted and moving into this new world of new way of doing things and just using the environment that you've got. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the easy button, you know? Yeah. To me, like VVols, the killer use case for it really is containers. Like it just it makes so much sense whenever you see it used alongside vSphere with Tanzu and you've got your different storage policies and like Chance was saying, you know, maybe some are encrypted or some of IOPS limits, others have QoS policies or whatever against them. And then in vSphere with Tanzu, you set an allocation per policy. So it's not like you're dealing again, you know, with LUNs or whatever, you know, you're presenting your storage as it's all just done dynamically based on the needs of the application. And you can say, you know, maybe they get... 200 gigs of, you know, really high uh, IOPS storage, they get 500 gigs of more archival stuff, and then whatever they need of encrypted storage, right? But it's all coming from the same array at the end of the day. So it really, it, it makes even more sense with containers than it did with VMs to me, you know, like it's, it's really, really killer in this, in this use case. Yeah, absolutely. And so you've got your your Kubernetes objects as first class citizens on the array being managed with that that kind of capability. Um, and you know, kind of the uh, the other thing I wanted to say about that is from a security perspective, not only does Kubernetes allow you to reduce the like attack surface area of you know individual components of your environment, but environment but you're able to take and carve out these namespaces within Tanzu and allocate them to different, you know, internal customers or business units or whatever, and they can't talk to each other. And you can allocate them different storage, um, dedicate specific storage policies to them and different uh, capacity restrictions. So you can say, you know, marketing can only use, you know, two petabytes of storage and they can only use these policies, um, you know, or the product managers can only use this policy that has two IOPS and, you know, a gig of storage, you know, whatever the case might be. That sounds about right for product managers. They don't need much. Yeah. <laughs> that does sound about right for marketing as well. Two petabytes is, is not a lot of storage these days. <laughs> I think you said, did you say two petabytes or two gigabytes? I'm uh, pretty sure I heard a P. Yeah. That was two ops. For, yeah. Well, that was for Glenn. Like two whole well, ops. you know, we, we we jest, but it, the the reality is that what what we're talking about is actually super critical for what businesses are trying to do right now because we are in the middle of a major transition and a bit of an explosion, and this isn't a you know like that first wave of public cloud that hit you know 10, 10 15 years ago where people tried to you know rehost and refactor everything to go be air quote cloud native before Kubernetes existed. Um, that was really about taking the existing workloads that, that were there and figuring out how to reposition them to fit into this new deployment model. What we're looking at now is teams that, that are literally just building new things, right? This is all net new growth. It's net new capability. There's not a lot of work out there right now in refactoring the existing. The existing is going to stick around just like mainframes are still with us, right? A lot of core core functions exist on a handful of mainframes around the world. They never went away. The same thing is happening to, the, to all that existing infrastructure that's out there today. It's all there. It's not going anywhere. It'll be there for probably ever, but at least 10, 10 15 years, right? 
Um, but but IDC forecasts that there, there's something like 500 million new apps that are currently in development and will be in production by 2024, right? That's only three years. That's not a lot of time. How are they doing that? They're doing that through this efficiency, through the power of policy-based management and using more intelligent operation deployment and, and patching systems. You just It takes so much less effort to produce and, and patch and update a, a modern application in these frameworks that you can just handle that kind of growth. And particularly with something like Tanzu, again, like I'm a broken record, but it really is a big deal since we're adding on this, this entire new wing of capability into your existing portfolio. It keeps you in that single pane of glass. It keeps you in that single ecosystem so that you can handle this growth with the team that you have. Yep. And, you know, one thing I want to just add on to that, and I think it was well said, is, you know, these these legacy monolithic application architectures, I think people are finding are very difficult to refactor into, you know, the, the containerized microservice architecture. So you're seeing a lot of net new. It's, it's mostly, you know, just like you said, it's net new deployments, applications being developed going forward into this new paradigm. So what makes a lot of sense here is in your vSphere environment, you're running VMs with your legacy monolithic apps in your VMs right alongside on the same infrastructure as your new containerized services. Um, So it's just extremely, an extremely efficient way to use the infrastructure you have. Right. And just if you needed any more justification, you know, that VMs are not going away. Uh, I released a blog maybe two or three weeks ago now on this new VM service that we've released as part of eSphere with Tenzu as well that lets you declaratively spin up and customize VMs through Kubernetes APIs. And the reason is, I mean, like Glenn said, people are not refactoring those applications. They run fine. You know, you don't fix what ain't broke. So you just take that application, you take the VM that it's packaged in, and you deploy it as an OVA, but this time you use Kubernetes to manage, you know, the deployment instead of having to do it manually. So, you know, on the one hand, you've got these new applications, and and this is why we've got this namespaces concept. New applications are going to be a mishmash of Kubernetes. There's going to be some SaaS in there. There's going to be some functions. There's going to be some VMs, and you know, hell, there might be some bare metal in the background as well. You know, nothing exists in isolation unless it's net, net, net new. But, you know, most of your data, it's got gravity. You're not just going to throw everything that's been in your database into the new hipster thing that you read on Hacker News two days ago because you think it's cool, right? It's still going to exist. And that's why, you know, we're adding these capabilities around adding VMs to your Kubernetes deployments because we know people are going to want to inherit what they've already built. And, you know, like on what Chance was saying, monolithic apps are not necessarily a bad thing. You know, there are use cases for microservices and microservices is a very, very attractive uh, model for deploying applications. But likewise, it's got drawbacks. And sometimes if you've got stuff that's latency sensitive, it's transactional, whatever, monoliths work just as well for those things. They don't all need to be microservices. They don't all need to run on Kubernetes. There's a a place and, and a good... Uh, use case for all these things. And if you have a good enterprise architect architecting your software, they'll know what components go where. Some of it's going to go in into a monolithic style, maybe an, a VM deployment. Some of it's going to be containerized, what have you, you know? So it's just going to be a little bit of everything. Another aspect of this is, you know, beyond using your own infrastructure, it's also using your own knowledge, like what you already have. And you don't necessarily want to learn a brand new 
infrastructure technology if you can avoid it. So you, you tend to skew towards what you know and you deploy what you know. And that's how you end up with things like, you know, containers running as VMs or, you know, any any variety of things out there that may not be, you know, quote unquote, best practices. Well, yeah, that that really is one of the biggest you know, powerhouses here that we're dealing with, you know, like I've, look, I checked out, right. I'm a PM now. I don't, I don't have those tech chops. Uh, I can stand up a Tanzu cluster. It is very easy, right? I can't do Kubernetes the hard way. I've never gone through Kelsey's documentation and built this thing by hand. I don't understand all the micro minutia that goes into managing the, the, the workload cluster and the admin. I don't need to, right. I know how to write a manifest. That's all I need to know how to do. Right. And I, I have deployed Kubernetes the hard way. And I encourage any of you, if, if any of you think that you can do it, that listen to the podcast, go try it out because you will see just how hard that is and just how much easier a package solution like Tanzu actually makes that. Because let me tell you, after getting it stood up, you feel like a hero. But the next time there's an upgrade, boy, you in for a world of pain. So there's a whole bunch of, of really uh, like a lot of complexity that just gets abstracted away. And like Glenn says, if you know how to write some YAML, which let's just face it, it's key value pairs. It's pretty hard to mess up. You can deploy a Tanzu cluster. You don't need to know about generating certs and automatically rotating them and, you know, getting etcd to talk to other etcds and then getting all the controllers stood up and all the complexity minutia that goes into Kubernetes just taken care of. It's, this reminds me of a job I had years ago as a sysadmin, and I was a Windows guy. I did AD and stuff. And one day, he, you know, my manager at the time was like, "Hey, can you install Oracle for us?" <laughs> and it's like the same thing. You're like, "Oh man, I don't know this stuff." And then you start reading the manuals, like, "Yeah, I don't know this stuff. I really don't know it." And in that case, you know, messing it up would have been not great because it's my job. But with a Kubernetes cluster that you're just testing out in the lab, whatever, man. I mean, it's like just go for it, try it out. Absolutely. And I encourage anyone that's you know going to mess around with Tanzu, really try doing Kubernetes the hard way. Look it up on Google. You'll find Kelsey's repository. Run through it or try to run through it. And you'll, you'll understand very quickly where the value in a package solution like this comes from. Yeah. And you'll understand why there's so many companies doing that today, like offering right. that as a service. I mean, there, there is no will in the customer base to go and do this by hand. It just doesn't exist. You're going to end up in some sort of managed package environment just, just because there's no value in you being a native Kubernetes expert. That's not why you're there, right? You're there because your business produces toilet paper or you know created a vaccine or builds vehicles, right? Like That's why you're there and that's what you need to solve. You just need Kubernetes to work. And, and this is... Kind of like, you know, we, we have learned lessons from previous things that, you know, in technologies that were hot and that just kind of didn't follow this model where, you know, you made it simpler. You know, OpenStack, I think of, you know, that was all the rage for a while there. Then everybody started actually using it. And you're like, oh, man, I don't know about this. I don't know. This is hard. I mean, I'll give you another example. Like back in the day, whenever I was still, you know, just out of university, um, I decided I was going to build my own self-replicating SAN, right? Synchronous replicating SAN on open source software. And it ran on Suzy. And my God, I learned a lot. And I learned exactly why I don't want to do that. And I learned exactly why I should just buy a SAN from somebody like NetApp, right? Was this like so this is it's the same or, thing. Was it Gluster or something like that? No, it wasn't Gluster. Uh, no, and it wasn't Ceph. It was DRBD, 
and I used LIO target, which is like a kernel level uh, iSCSI target thing. And <laughs> I decided I knew better than the documentation and that I was not going to add a witness because, you know, it's never going to go down. I'm never going to get a split brain. Guess what happened the first time power went out? Yeah. Yeah. You get a split brain, you corrupt all your data. And that was me done with that. So this is the same thing, right? You can do it yourself. Absolutely. You can make it work. You can probably stand it up. But as soon as something unexpected happens, as soon as something that you haven't tested happens, you're really going to wish you went to a vendor. So if you ever had like a BitTorrent site that you were using and all of a sudden went down, you can blame Miles. That was his. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, the, the last thing I'll add is, you know, this is a very quickly evolving um partnership and portfolio. And I just say, keep watching the podcast and the uh, <clears throat> NetApp uh, TechCom TV uh, YouTube channel. And, you know, just keep an eye out because, um, and obviously um, subscribe to, uh, uh, you know, Miles's blog and um, follow Glenn on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's just so much stuff evolving so rapidly. You really want to keep an eye on it because there's going to be some interesting stuff coming out. Um you know, in the not too distant future. So I follow Glenn on Twitter. He doesn't really use it. DMs, man. I'm not about those public conversations, but you want to jump in those DMs. They're wide open. Ooh, Tell me what's broken in VMware Cloud. I'll get it fixed. Product He's the hero we need. Product managers doing things. Man, his, his inbox just got blown up. Um, you can tell he's new, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll help no, you. No, no, no. It's very easy. I've, I've had product managers telling me no for 15 years. So I've learned how to say no myself. It's very easy. See, look, no. What, he has, what Glenn hasn't told you is that he's got an auto reply set up in his DMs that says, just says no. Every now and again, one of them's good. And you say, yes, thanks for telling me. All right, cool. All right, Miles, Glenn, Chance, thanks so much for joining us and talking to us all about Tanzu. So, Miles, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that? Um, you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm not going to give my email address out, but you can find me there. And uh, if you want more information on Tanzu, there's two places that you can go. So number one, if you're interested in like the vSphere angle, how it integrates, how you get it running with storage, all that stuff, go to core.vmware.com. And if you're interested in the higher level, the more developer stuff, go to tanzu.vmware.com. If you want Miles' email address, just hit up Glenn in his DMs. Right. Uh, and speaking of DMs, Glenn, uh, how do we reach you? Uh, yeah, no, Twitter at GLN size if, if you really want to talk to me. But uh, if you want to keep up to date with anything going on in the VMware cloud space, just head over to cloud.vmware.com. You'll find it all there. And last but not least, Chance. Hey, yep. Um, so you can uh, hit me up on Twitter. It's at CB8MyDataCenter, and that's the number eight. Um, and also, uh, feel free to, to track me down on LinkedIn. I, I talk to people all the time there. Um, and also, netapp.com. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today and talking to us all about Tanzu. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Miles Gray, Glenn Sizemore, and Chance Bingham for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah.
Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh yeah. <laughs> 